I was reading, and I read sometimes. I was reading time.com. I read websites. And did you know Memorial Day weekend used to be just May 30th? Who here, who here knew that? Who here remembers that? Anyone remember that? Art, is, art remembers. Uh, it used to be its own day, just one day, May 30th. Uh, and there were groups of politicians or, or just whatever that wanted, that loved this idea of a three-day weekend. It would be better for travel. It'd be good for the economy. Let's, let's do a three-day weekend. Um, as you can imagine, because everything causes disagreement, uh, there, were, there were disagreements. The church didn't like this idea. They, they were like, hey, we have this three-day weekend sort of thing that's going to hurt our attendance on that Sunday, uh, which, which holds true. That's why I get to preach on this Sunday. Uh, and uh, the other, there were senators that didn't like this idea because they felt that turning Memorial Day into a three-day weekend hurt the celebration. Uh, Strom Thurmond, a South Carolina senator, said, while the rationale behind such a law may have been admirable, admirable to provide a three-day holiday, the result diminished patriotism and history. Uh, William L. Scott, if we are only interested in having three-day weekends, we might as well have federal holiday number one and so forth if they really have no significance. Uh, this is just a reminder that Memorial Day, we can kind of lose it in, in these large work projects that we do this weekend or, or in the travel or in the vacationing or the camping uh, whenever it was a day that was meant to maybe sit with a veteran that lost a friend or maybe a day where you were supposed to remember those people who fought for our freedom. So, so just as a reminder for tomorrow, take some time out of your day and think about why we have this weekend, why uh, all the people who sacrificed their time and their lives to give us a three-day weekend. Um, speaking of getting holidays wrong, though, today is not Memorial Day, as far as I know on the calendar. Monday is, tomorrow is Memorial Day. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And Tristan kind of talked about this earlier. What exactly is Pentecost, right? And we're going we're gonna to get into all of that. But before we get to Acts 2 and Pentecost, I want to go back to John 14 and John 16. This is where Jesus is, he's about to go and, and die on the cross. Uh, but Jesus is telling his disciples about a promised helper. So John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, so not the one who betrayed him, but a different disciple, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Great question. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to me and make our home with him. 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, We're also going to read John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Get this. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Once again, Jesus is saying all this before he dies. Just a little bit of speculation here by me. I wonder if Jesus is telling the disciples they'll receive the Holy Spirit when he's gone to kind of comfort them after his death, because that's not when they receive the Holy Spirit. He's gone for three days and they don't receive the Holy Spirit. I wonder if Jesus is telling them this now to kind of show them, hey, I'm not gone. When I'm gone, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Anyway, but verse 7, all this is Jesus promising the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 is what really sticks out to me. It is to your, this is Jesus speaking, it is to your advantage if I go away. It is for your good if I go away. One of my greatest desires is if I could have a time machine or if I had a genie and could make a wish, I would switch places with a disciple, probably Bartholomew, because he doesn't do much. I wouldn't mess too much up on the timeline. Uh, I would switch places with Bartholomew, and I would walk with Jesus. Like, that would be, I think that would be incredible. I think that would be the greatest experience to ever live, is to walk with Jesus, see the things that he did, learn directly from him, get to ask him questions. I think that would be great. That being said, Jesus says to his disciples, it is better that he go. It is to your advantage that he go. Why? So that they're not walking with him sometimes and talking with him sometimes, but so that Jesus can live inside of them through the Holy Spirit. Once again, I think there would be endless benefits to walking physically with Christ, but Christ designed for us is for us to have the Holy Spirit, which Jesus says is to our advantage. So following this, once again, Jesus dies, he rises again, and now we're in Acts 1. We're making our way slowly to Acts 2. Acts 1, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. This is Jesus. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command— Do not leave Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Finally, this brings us to Acts 2. 
And in verse 1, we see a celebration is here. When the day of Pentecost came, they, all the disciples, as, as Tristan mentioned earlier, were in one place. We're together in one place. So, the day of Pentecost, um, or as the Jews would have referred to it as, is Shavuot. Uh, and I believe your bulletin has it spelled wrong, but it will be spelled correctly on the slides. So, just switch the O and U, whatever they have up here. Um, anyway, Deuteronomy, uh, this is the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, which, is, which the Jews are commanded to practice in two parts of the law. Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 11. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your town, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. All right, so once you put the sickle to the grain, which means once you start collecting the harvest, count off seven weeks, and then that is whenever this, this festival happens. This is when the celebration happens. This festival is also referred to in Levit Leviticus 23, uh, verses 9 through 22. We'll read some of that. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I am going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring his offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generation to come wherever you live. Uh, verse 15, from, that day, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of, wave, of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Verse 21, on the same day you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generation to come wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of the harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. A few things to note here. First of all, uh, if you read either of these passages just by themselves, which would be a weird thing to do in your own study time, to just read a passage of the Bible just by itself. Do we do that with regular books, just like read small quotes? No, like read the whole book, read, read the whole thing. Anyway, if you read either of these passages in context with the whole book, you will see that in both of them, the command comes right after the time that they're supposed to celebrate Passover. And so while the command kind of has a vague time to start whenever you start harvesting, which they can decide when they start harvesting, the Jews always would celebrate this would start the 50-day the process, the seven weeks, the day after Passover, all right? Uh, also, it's hard to figure out what they're celebrating. I'll say it. It's hard to figure out what they're celebrating in this passage. Um, is, are they celebrating the harvest? Are they celebrating the grain? Um, are they celebrating just gathering together? Well, according to Exodus 19.1, and, and, the, they try, and they try, kind of figured this out, 
50 days after Passover, the first Passover, whenever they, they killed the lamb and the blood of the lamb saved them from the wrath of the angel of death, uh, 50 days after they left Egypt is when the Jews received the law from Mount Sinai. It was 50 days. So, 50 days after the Passover, in the law here, they would celebrate Shavuot, Shavuot, however you pronounce that, all right? Um, so they, they would celebrate the receiving of the law on this day. That's what tradition turned into, was 50 days after Passover, they would celebrate the receiving of the law when they all gathered together uh, at the temple. Uh, and 50 days is where we get the word Pentecost, which is derived from the Greek word Pentecoste, which means 50th. So all of that. that is a, I know that's a lot of information to take in. You have the notes in there. Um, that, all that backdrop helps us to see that the Jews, through their law, came, came from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate the receiving of the law 50 days after they would celebrate Passover. So, back to Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You might not know this, but this verse, this passage here, it's huge. It's a really big deal. The Holy Spirit is coming in the way that Jesus told them he would in John 14 and 16. And just like Jesus was, was there at creation, he, he's been there the whole time, he's father, father and son, he, he's been through the Old Testament, but Jesus was born on Christmas the Holy Spirit has been doing his work forever, was there at the beginning, was there at the creation of the world, but in a lot of ways was born at Pentecost. First thing we see that's different about the Holy Spirit than we've ever seen before is the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament traditionally would come upon David or Samson or, or John the Baptist in, in the New Testament. We see that John the Baptist has the, the Holy Spirit. But you don't really get instances of the Holy Spirit coming upon a whole group of people like this. Uh, this. We have a whole group of people, many people gathered together who would get filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is a distinct thing that exists now today. This is new to the function of the Holy Spirit that starts here with the disciples, with the apostles. We also see the birth of spiritual gifts here. Not that spiritual gifts didn't exist before now, but whenever we talk about spiritual gifts, tongues seem to get brought up. And not get into any of the tongues debates, um, but we know that these tongues were used to communicate the gospel to people that didn't speak the language of the disciples, right? You had all these different people there that were hearing the gospel for the first time in their own language. That's what the Holy Spirit was enabling. So, so we have the gift of uh, the spiritual gifts now exist. Um, this fulfills prophecies, Joel 2. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is, no, and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Uh, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And, I, and this is really cool. This was pointed out to me. The Jews, what are they doing? 50 days after Passover, 50 days after they slayed the lamb to get saved by the blood from the wrath of God on sinful people to free them from slavery, that's the story of Passover, 50 days later, they are celebrating the receiving of the law that was going to guide them for the the rest of their existence, essentially. 50 days, Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus died for our sins, save us from the wrath of our sins. 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came to the church and we received it. 2 Corinthians 3.3, you shall know you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Hebrews 8, 10 through 13, this is a covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Just like Jesus fulfilled the role of the lamb at Passover, just like Jesus fulfills the role of the sacrifice on Easter, the Holy Spirit now fulfills the role of the stone tablets. What was once, what was once written on stone and delivered to the Jews that same day at Shavuot, at Pentecost, What was delivered to the church, what was delivered to the Christians was the Holy Spirit that now guides us and leads us. And this shows us as a church, we don't have a rules-based relationship. We don't have a rules-based relationship as Christians with God, as Christians with each other. Now, we have rules. There are rules in this church. You can break them. You can find ways to break them, and we will tell you that you broke our rules. That being said, I'm I'm, I'm pro-rules. I like the rules. Relationships are not rules-based. Relationships with people are not rules-based. If you see a a couple walking down the street and they're holding hands and you're like, oh man, that's so sweet. That's that's so awesome. You guys must love each other so much. And and one of them's like, well, yeah, this is our contractual obligation. You You would now think there might be something wrong with that relationship, right? The Holy Spirit has taken us from living a rules relationship, a rules religion, that doesn't mean there are no rules. In Christianity, there are rules. That, but they aren't salvation. Uh, they aren't for salvation. The Holy Spirit has taken us from a rules relationship to a spirit-led relationship, to a, to a spirit-led religion. The Holy Spirit has now been written on the hearts of those who have accepted him and now leads us and guides us. Let me put it this way. If you live by the rules, you're going to break the rules and disregard the Holy Spirit. If you're living by the Holy Spirit, then you'll keep the rules just fine. We see a biblical contrast between a rules life and a spirit life in Galatians 5, 19 through 25. The acts of the flesh are obvious, right? So these are all bad things. 
sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So Paul lays out all these bad things, right? And so you would expect a list of rules to help us deal with the bad things, right? Like, okay, um, what, what's one of them on here? Drunkenness is bad. So, so Paul, just say, don't put alcohol in your house. Or, or what are some of the other things in here? Like uh, selfish ambition. So, so Paul, tell, show, tell us what rules to have. Like, don't be ambitious. Don't ever be ambitious, I guess. That's not what Paul writes. In verses 22 through 25, instead of giving us the rules he shows us what living by the Spirit looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, not by the rules, but by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Do you have a faith that is led by the rules or led by the Spirit? It's a good question to ask yourself. Is your faith led by the rules or led by the Spirit? The rules tell you to make disciples. It's a good rule. The Spirit is going to lead you to people who need to be discipled. The rules tell you to go to church. The Spirit is going to take you to a church in Haiti. The rules tell you not to love money. The Spirit is going to make you rich with community, purpose, freedom from sin, and a life of following Christ. We as Christians, we live by the Spirit. But the Spirit coming upon the apostles, that's not the end of the story. That's not the only reason we celebrate. Two big things happen this day. So we meet the Holy Spirit here on earth as we now know him, right? He's, he's manifesting himself in the way that Jesus promised. The second thing, I'm just going to read I'm just going to read Acts 2. It's a lot. Get ready. Get your Bibles out. 5 through 36. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderness because each one heard their own language being spoken. Remember, the tongues of fire that fell upon the disciples, it was allowing them to speak tongues that the people around them could understand so they could hear the gospel. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. That's it. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you carefully. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Wait a couple hours. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
even on my servant, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, and blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Peter's giving his gospel presentation that, that you all, right, these guys came from all over the world, but he's saying you all still are responsible for Jesus' death here. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not lead your holy one... Uh, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place on his descendants. He would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what, now, what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your seat. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I hope, I hope you all believe that, that Jesus died for you, loves you, took your sins, took some punishment upon himself, and he is Lord and he is Messiah. I hope, I hope you know that. I hope if someone brought you here or, or if you're questioning anything about your faith, that you will talk to someone and and build that relationship with Jesus and, and get to know him in a way that you've never known him before. And Peter's gospel presentation here is huge. Look at this, uh, verses 37 through 41. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brother, what shall we do? What shall we do? What, what do we need to do now? If Jesus is Lord and Messiah, what do we need to do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And this is big. This is huge. Verse 41 those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And that is when we believe, truly, that the church started. Right there, when the 3,000 were added. That, it might have been a little bit before then. It might have been in that room with the disciples. But, but truly, 
This is when the church age started, when 3,000 Jews went, this Jesus guy sounds better. I want that Holy Spirit. Not only does the Holy Spirit arrive, but the church is started as well. And the Holy Spirit came first. The Holy Spirit, we have to remember this, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit without the church. If a building and its people don't have the Holy Spirit, then we have no need to call that people a church, right? You're not a church if you don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it doesn't need the church to be able to be God, to be the Holy Spirit. And this is why thousands of churches around the world, mostly Catholics and Methodists, this is a Catholic and Methodist Methodist holiday for the most part from what I studied, thousands of churches around the world are celebrating Pentecost Sunday. They are. It's, it's a celebration. It's a big thing. Everyone, everyone wears red. They come out to church, and they are celebrating the beginning of the church and the beginning of the Holy Spirit. And I'm convicted. Uh, last year, this time last year, uh, one, of, one of my pastor friends posted on Facebook, why do you think more churches don't celebrate Pentecost Sunday? And I I came up with an answer that I didn't like. I love Thanksgiving. I've told the youth group many times it's my favorite holiday. There is no reason for me to celebrate some pilgrims arriving on an island before I celebrate the arrival of the Holy Spirit to the body of believers. I am a huge fan of Fourth of July, but how can I celebrate the birth of a nation every year and not celebrate the birth of the church? One of the most fundamental parts of the Christian faith. We would, we would deny you all membership if you denied that the Holy Spirit was part of the Trinity. We would. We would deny you all membership if you, if you said the Holy Spirit is not equal with Jesus and God. So why do we celebrate Jesus' birth with some of the most beautiful songs and church services we put on all year, but we don't celebrate the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the same way? If we're being honest, if we're being honest, we celebrate the way we do because these are our cultural holidays. They're the holidays that the culture around us celebrate. And once again, I'm convicted that we are teaching ourselves, we're teaching those around us to celebrate the way that the culture around us celebrates. And if that's how we celebrate, we shouldn't be surprised if next week in June we start seeing churches raising pride flags. That shouldn't shock us because that's how the culture around us celebrates. So here's what I want everyone to do right now. Get out your phones. You are not going to text anyone. You're not going to text anyone. Some of you guys are already halfway there on your phones anyway. Uh, Get out your phones and get out your calendar app. Do it. I'm going to wait. I'm going to take a drink of water. Second service is coming, guys. Get out your phones. Get out your phones. Get to your calendar app. Swipe a whole year to May 19th. All right, swipe a whole year to May 19th, 2024. It will come. We will get to 2024. Probably. I don't know. Type into May 19th, Pentecost Sunday, 2024. All right? If you do this, you're going to have this on your phone as a reminder that next year you're going to celebrate this. Next year you're going to celebrate the beginning of the church, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't we celebrate this? Uh, Next year, 
let's have worship nights. Let's have prayer vigils. Let's, let's, let's all wear red in remembrance of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. There are lots of ways you can celebrate the Holy Spirit next year. There are lots of ways that you can celebrate it today. When you go home, change into a red shirt. Done. You're celebrating. Um, Deuteronomy said that they offered free will offerings, that they offered God free will offerings. Go sit down for five, ten minutes, an hour, and let the Holy Spirit lead you to make a donation to a Christian organization or mission group, right? Make a free will offering today. Uh, a lot of people, Leviticus says that they weren't supposed to pick up the grain at the, at the edges of the field. That is tied to the story of Ruth. And so a lot of people to celebrate today, they read the book of Ruth. It's, it's an awesome way to celebrate. Uh, the same way you would read Luke 1 and 2 if it was Christmas, sit down as a family and read Acts 1 and 2. So there's so many ways, so many ways we could be celebrating it. And why aren't we? Why aren't we celebrating it? I want to take this time, I'm going to call the worship team back up here. Before we wrap up, those of you who don't know God, those of you who, who don't, haven't accepted him, have denied him, have left him, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from talking to someone today and, and asking them for prayer, asking them to lead you back to a God who loved you so much that not only did he die for you, but he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and guide you into his plan and sent you a church family to help you and walk with you. My challenge to the faithful believer is this. Have you told God, I'm following a set of rules? Or have you told God, I'm going to live by the Spirit? And then for there's some of us in here, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit yet, Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And he doesn't say you might. He says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized? If not, why are you putting it off? Why don't you want the Holy Spirit? I want, I, I need it to be surrounded by a family of believers that's filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have sin in your life, if you have an unrepentant sin in your life, something you're holding on to, some hatred, some malice, some addiction, talk to someone. That sin might be holding you back from having the relationship that God desires with you. And finally, how do you celebrate God that's different from how the world celebrates? There's so many ways you can celebrate your faith. There's so many ways that you can show that you're a faithful believer in the way that you live, in the way, in the things that you're excited about. One of my favorite things every year is uh, Carter, he posts his baptism birthday. He posts his baptism birthday. That's cool. He is celebrating something that God did in his life every year. That's something that we all could do. Uh, I know people that try to make more time for the Old Testament festivals like Shavuot. Uh, Colossians 2, 16 and 17 tells us, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. We saw today how Pentecost points to Christ. The Old Testament and all its festivals, all of its traditions, they're pointing us to Christ. There's so many ways we can celebrate Christ and celebrate who he is and what he's done for us. So how are we celebrating that is different from the world? We're going to end with the doxology. 
you don't know the doxology, you probably do know the doxology. It's a song that brings us all into remembrance that it's not just the Father. It's not just the Son, Jesus. It's not just the Holy Ghost. Our God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We praise them as one, and we praise them above all. Let's pray, and then let's sing.